moment, I'm going to read from the Bible, uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. Uh, if you're new, coming on to Charlotte Chapel, uh, you can find that on page 1035 in one of the red Bibles uh, that's been provided for you. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. And as you're listening to the Word, you'll see that it uh, opens up into two very distinct scenes. One will be introduced to a very powerful man, and in the second one, a bereft woman. Uh, the first scene will introduce you to one who is an outsider concerning the Israel's tradition and worship. Uh, the second one, you'll be introduced to one who is most likely an insider, but without any social capital to change her situation. And in both, we will see the fullness of what love looks like. Luke 7, 1 through 17. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There was a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turned to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him, and as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When Jesus saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. 
they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Luke, arriving at a moment in his gospel narrative where he turns the reader's attention from the words of Christ, which really the previous chapter were given to, to walking along the road with Christ. It is almost as if Luke's reading congregation, which had been seated listening to Jesus preach in chapter 6, concerning love and the extent of love, now is asked to leave the building to walk with him along the way. You pick that up, don't you, right at the outset of chapter 7? Put your eyes upon it, the way Luke makes that transition. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, that is, the words of Christ, he entered Capernaum. We are now walking with Christ. I've often wondered what it would have been like to hear him preach. Well, in this chapter, we see what it would have been like to walk with him along the way. Two different scenes, each of which walk you into his presence, one in Capernaum, one in Nain. The setting of the first scene is right there in chapter 2, isn't it? After entering Capernaum, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. I don't know what you know about Capernaum. It uh, is situated right on the north of the Sea of Galilee. If you're familiar with the Gospel Disciples, it's the town from which Peter and Andrew would have had their own little fishing business. James and John, other future disciples, also hailed from Capernaum. Jesus, in Luke's Gospel, had already been there once in this very synagogue and at that time had healed a man who had been demon-possessed. It looks now like Jesus has returned to this fishing village which archaeologists have uh, identified as probably being no larger than uh, 1,500 people. Cobblestone streets. The architecture would have been uh, frame homes which, with thatched roofs, single story. You could almost envision it, can't you? A, a fishing village. Working men and women. No pretense. Jesus enters. It's an outpost for the Roman Empire, of course, and there is evidently a centurion who lives there from the Latin centuria or where we would just get a, the century mark, a hundred. In, in American military terms, it is one who was held the rank of a captain. He oversaw a hundred soldiers. I hear there is in Edinburgh at least a number of military posts. 
probably within a short drive of where we sit today. It was a town along the water in which fishing took place, and yet even there the military presence, and what a wonderful, powerful man this was. He had access. He had the ability to get things accomplished. He was an overseer of many. And an outsider, because he was a Roman, an outsider to the things of God. Well, he had evidently heard, hadn't he, that Jesus had returned and undoubtedly had known that on a previous visit he had healed someone in the church service who was demon-possessed. And now his own servant, it says, is at the point of death. And it was a servant who was highly valued by him. And so what does he do? Well, you'll see it right there. Verses 3 through 6a. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. An envoy of religious leaders. Uh, the interesting thing in this part of the text for me is you're seeing social capital at work. We, we tend to think that in today's terms, social capital is what gets things done. Well, our day is no different than that day. Did you see how the religious leaders made their appeal? They appealed on the basis of social capital. That is, that a group has been benefited by a singular individual... Namely, this centurion paid for their building project. Therefore, Jesus should be helpful to the individual. Preferential treatment for the one who has helped us. I love what Jesus does here. It says that he went with them. Uh, He's willing to walk in the mud, isn't he? the muck of life. He doesn't, at least the text doesn't indicate, that he rebuked them at all. He sees beyond their way of working the way the world works, and his heart goes to the one who was in need, namely the centurion and his servant. And he says, I'm on. Let's go. I'm coming. My guess is that the word traveled back to the centurion, namely the word that identified how he had framed it. This man deserves, or, or in another translation, he's worthy of this. And so the centurion is caught in a dilemma. That's not the message he wanted conveyed. But before Jesus shows up at his own house, he sends not an envoy of religious leaders, but notice the following verses, 6b and following, uh, a delegation of friends. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy, or I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. Think of it. What a man this man must have been. Uh, A ruler, in the sense, of a man of great position and power, yet he was humble, wasn't he? It's good to know that there are those in the city who have influence who are nevertheless humble. 
the religious leaders, uh, well, he wasn't going to trust them much longer, <laughs> this centurion. Let me send some friends to convey the true attitude of my heart. Uh, undoubtedly, these would have been Roman soldiers, you know, the drinking buddies at the pub after the day had been done. No, I didn't say I was worthy that this be done. In fact, I feel just the opposite with Jesus. In the world, I've been given influence, but with this one, no. I don't presume, the text says. What a character trait. I think in the Anglican communion of uh, a weekly prayer that's made called the prayer of humble access. It, it opens with the words, Lord, we do not presume to come to this table in our own righteousness but rather we appeal to you on your eternal nature for it is your nature to have mercy. The centurion is very much like that. And so that word is communicated. And then notice even a further word. Not only is his heart displayed, but look at what his heart trusts him. He says in verses 8, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and do this, and he does it. Just speak the word. Now this is very informative for us. This is how God works in this situation and in your own he changes the course of human events through the articulation of a word that goes forth. Notice, he didn't even need to be present. If God would speak, that is, Jesus would speak a word in the presence of the Father, the will of the Father would be accomplished in the world. It's a stunning thing to think about. No need to head at this point even to Mayo Clinic <laughs> or to the local hospital. The centurion was convinced that the word of Christ accomplished the work of God in a world gone wrong. How about us? How about us? Firmly convinced? that the word of Christ accomplishes the work of Christ in the world. Jesus, of course, says, wow, he, he is in awe of this one. He, he marveled. And he says, let me tell you something, not even among all the church-going folk have I seen the kind of response that we're getting from the centurion faith and evidently when they went home they found the servant well an outsider a great man one who was in power even they are not beyond the reach of the gospel the gospel rises to the heights of Edinburgh 
And in the following scene, I think Luke intentionally puts them side by side to let us know that that gospel is so inclusive that it reaches the great and the small alike. You move from Capernaum, don't you, to Nain. I love the way Luke sets these great crowds off of one another. You can see it there. This scene is set most strikingly in verses 11 and 12. And intentionally, you're almost to see a collision of crowds. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Well, this is the entourage, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine having walked with Jesus in Capernaum and heard now that the servant had been made well? I mean, Jesus is, uh, he's a, imagine a band that breaks loose in Edinburgh in the nightclub scene and it suddenly catches the wave of the entire country. Well, that's what had happened with Jesus. His early reviews were now being put out and the entourage traveled. It would be like following Bob Dylan from, uh, from Fort Wayne, Indiana to Kalamazoo, Michigan. Not even the big places yet, the small ones. It would be like hearing Eddie Reader in the Queen's Hall. They were all coming. A great crowd. And were taking up with him. And yet notice how he plays off it. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. What a contrast of crowds. The, the emerging itinerant evangelist that was taking the countryside by storm. Now, going through the small gate of Nain. The town of Nain is still there today. Entirely Muslim, set right alongside a hill. Very small. An indication to all of us who dwell in places like Edinburgh or Chicago that when God accomplishes great things in the world, he often doesn't go to the great cities. He accomplishes his work in these tiny things that the word spreads to the rest of the world. So, so it was on this day at Nain. Notice the way the writer slows down your understanding. The English uh, in the NIV there puts a big dash between the word out and the, almost as if the reader is supposed to be arrested. The, the, the original puts the word behold, as if those of us who have been walking with Jesus are suddenly asked to change the attention of our gaze. And we're no longer to have our eyes on Jesus, but we're to have our eyes on the dead one, the only son of a mother, comma, and she was a widow, period. A bereft woman. In that day, of course, uh, now, without a son, one who had no ability to make her way forward in the world. She was entirely dependent on the community around her. No son to farm, no son to manage, no son to make money. 
no resource. You, you almost are drawn back to the image of one in the Old Testament like Naomi or Ruth who, who are thrown upon the mercy of a world. And Jesus sees her bereft, crying, and his jubilant... <laughs> His jubilant entourage settles at the gate and the wailing of the mourners is the lament and the song that is sung. The only son and she a widow. And here we see the love of Christ for the least, for the smallest, the text reads in verse 13 when the Lord saw her his heart went out to her and he said don't cry or literally do not weep Charles Spurgeon said if misery if misery be a qualification for mercy then I am a fit object for thy compassion. There are some here today, undoubtedly, who have very little in common with the powerful centurion, but today know deeply the wounds of the bereft woman whose misery this morning might actually be, as Spurgeon said, a qualification for mercy. You know what I love about this part of the text? There's no statement here of the woman like the centurion who had this innate faith or belief. There's no, I I have so much faith, and I think it's important, lest we read the first story and think, Well, the centurion teaches us that if you just have enough faith, then Jesus will act. No, Luke says, that's a distortion of the character of God. God has mercy upon whomever he wishes of his own initiative. Jesus looks, his heart was filled with compassion. That was it. Her life was changed because he was moved. And uh, he touches the beer, pro- probably just halting their progression. He, he interrupted the funeral. If you want to know how raw the emotion was, you need to know that in that day, you would have been buried on the same day as your death. I mean, it's that raw, that fresh. There was no waiting around and calling everyone and in a week later holding a service. The uh, first seven days of mourning where a family set itself aside, the, the Shiva would, would have taken place after the burial. In other words, this young man had died hours before. Imagine getting the news so quickly through the town. Have you heard so-and-so has passed? Are you kidding me? I just saw him in the field this morning. He was just at Starbucks drinking the American coffee. 
And he's gone? Yes, he's gone. The mother is already on its way. And in that day, they would have washed the body. They would have anointed the body with oil. They would have wrapped the hands and the feet. They would have rolled him in linen and within hours put him in a box and they're now walking out to throw him into a grave that at Nain today was just right into the mountainside where he would have been buried. Would have been followed by 30 days of mourning, formally. And then a year later they would return. A year later and they would take the bones and put the bones in the ossuary and that would have been like a coffin and that would have been the final act of mourning. All this is underway for her. And Jesus comes and look what he says. Again, it's a word. Young man, I say to you, get up or literally arise. And he sat up, spoke, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Well, what are we to make of this? I mean, you see what they made of it. They were filled with awe, or, or literally fear seized them. I bet they were afraid. Can you imagine being one who's walking with Jesus on this day? The word arise is, uh, is an important one. It will appear later in Luke's gospel near the end when the report comes concerning Jesus. He has risen. I mean, when you think about it, now I don't want to overpromise from this text. The Christian message does not mean that if Jesus comes into your life, you'll be healed of all diseases. And if you should die this week, that he is somehow powerful or obligated in some way to give you a literal resurrection for the coming week. In fact, I'm firmly convinced that there were other funerals in Nain later on that week. He's not here to... We, we should not be reading these particular texts and so identifying with them as to believe that. But we are here to understand something about Jesus. Jesus had the authority and the power within himself to heal those who were near death and to raise those who had suffered death. Why? Because, as Luke will go on to explain, he himself has arisen from death. It isn't just that he can give life to people, it's as John indicates, life was within him. He is life, and therefore he can dispense it. And that's the gospel that Luke and Paul and all the apostles proclaim. That if you are sitting here today, a person of great influence in the city of Edinburgh, you are not beyond the reach of Christ. He reaches the great. And if you are here as the bereft woman, well, he is here for you even in his resurrection. He can give you life.
it says in the text in regard to what they did with it and it might influence what we're to do with it they began to glorify God and they did so with their mouth a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited us or uh, the way the NIV traces that language a great prophet has appeared and God has come to help it was Zechariah early on in Luke who talked about the visitation of God in the birth of the Baptist it is Jesus at the end of Luke which will weep over the religious of Jerusalem for they did not see the day of his visitation or the day where he came to help do you see it today do you know that Christ can visit you and he does so by giving his own life for you notice verse 17 the way it all shuts down and this saying uh, verse 17 I mean this news this, this saying this word about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country notice how the text has then moved from where we began chapter 6 we were listening to the word of Christ chapter 7 1 to 16 we are walking with Christ chapter 7 verse 17 the people now give out a word about Christ that's what I think he wants from Charlotte Chapel that's what he wants from this collection of men and women and children who sit here today some who have been walking with Christ for years others who are just maybe today making their way toward him that the word of Christ that we sit under would be one in which we learn to walk under and yet it would be a word that we would deliver to the city of Edinburgh there it is this saying about him spread throughout all Judea and the surrounding country I think of my own congregation at home today as they'll be gathering in a few hours time to, to proclaim the praises of Christ in the assembly is one thing to spread the word of Christ on the streets is another thing and that is what happened on this day so to the powerful one in our midst this morning spread the word of Christ to the bereft one in our midst this morning spread the word of Christ to the many who are caught between these poles that don't consider themselves to be either great or small influential or at a moment in life where everything is falling apart well believe me if Christ has bundled up the edges he's bundled up us all and may that word go forth 
with great power. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, look today at these uh, two singular scenes and we find all of humanity bundled in between. And I do ask as we go about our week now that you would so strengthen this local congregation to be abuzz with the glories of the gospel that those who live here in a city wherein maybe only one in 20 homes on their block would even attend any kind of service that speaks of you on the Sunday, that you would use each one to reach one, just one, by publicly giving testimony of your glory this week it would cause such a stir as to change us all. We pray for it in Christ's name. Amen.